2: Welcome to the world of Mr. Black. I am he. You are you. And the time is now for Like It Matters Radio. This is where we're living life like it matters. And let's be honest. In America circa 2022... If you're a blood saint of the risen king, if you're a conservative, uh, and if you happen to be melanin challenged, boy, oh boy, there seems to be a lot of craziness going on. And it's harder and harder uh, to be who you are, uh, to not go out in the world without feeling the constant need to, to block and attack, to defend, to circle the wagons. And I want you to know, ladies and gentlemen, I don't believe... That anything just happens. I just don't believe it. I'm, uh, those of you that know me know first and foremost I'm a man of God. And so there is a temporal world. That's, uh, what we're living in now, the ones we can see and touch. Uh, it has the time span. Uh, and then there's a spiritual world that is always in existence, was long in existence before the temporal world, uh, and will be here uh, forever. And so I believe everything uh, is spiritual. Uh, I believe that we are spiritual beings, have a fleshly experience. I don't believe we are fleshly beings, have an experiential experience. I think we got it backwards. Just like we are not sinners because we sin, we sin because we are sinners. Now, I know it sounds the same, but why does a dog bark? Because it's a dog. Why does a cat meow? Because it's a cat, right? It's innate. Uh, it's wired. It's programmed. Uh, why do men sin? Because we are sinners. By one man, Adam, the Garden of Eden, Genesis 3, sin became part of our DNA. And the Bible's clear as one man sinned and brought uh, sin into our DNA, one man, Christ, Jesus, uh, could remove it. And so I want you to know, uh, that's just my frame. So I always think, see things in a spiritual uh, sense, not just a temporal sense, because things that we can touch uh, are going to be gone someday. Uh, the, those of you that are out there saving the planet, you might want to read the good book. God destroyed it once by a flood. Uh, and then he gave us the rainbow and made a, a, a commitment and agreement. Uh, with the animal kingdom and with the world, that he would never destroy it that way again. But if you look at Revelation, he, the elements will melt. So those of you that are saving the planet, I don't know if you're, who you're saving it from, God, because God says one day the elements will melt uh, and the new Jerusalem will come down uh, come on, man. from the sky. So today, what I want to talk about uh, is patterns. Because there's patterns everywhere. We can look in the, uh, in the sky. We can watch the clouds and we can see patterns, right? The weatherman tells us that there's this pattern forming and this is most likely the outcome. Now it's not guaranteed the outcome, but we see patterns. Even the Bible talks about it. you can look up at the sky and see patterns, see the signs, and you can tell what's the weather going to be like. And the Bible's the same way. The Bible begins with the end in mind, meaning we win, uh, but there 's going to be struggles there 's going to be there 's going to be tough things. And as a man of God, I see things like uh, I, a great example. Uh, Don Know, who's a friend of mine, he does Bible study with us. He said it's kind of like what you know. You you work on Sundays, and so the Dallas Cowboys played, but you worked, so you recorded the game, and you didn't want to uh, know anything about the game. You watched it. Okay, you want to watch it, but somehow you found out that the Cowboys won. Now you don't know the score, and anybody you know, the Cowboys won. So there you are. Now you're watching the game. It's Monday. The game was over yesterday. You don't you know the Cowboys. Cowboys won, but you don't know the score or how they won. And so you're watching the game. You're in the first quarter. You're in the second quarter. You're in the third quarter. And the Cowboys get behind by three touchdowns. They fumble the ball. And all of a sudden, oh, my gosh, they're down 21 points. Oh, my gosh, they're looking terrible. But then you don't worry. Why? Because you know the outcome of the game. You know the Cowboys won. So even though they're down by 21 points, so there's only nine minutes left in the game, and they just fumble the ball on their own goal line, you know, you don't know how it all works out, but you know, it works out. Got my point? So the same thing here. So today, we want to talk about patterns, realizing that the victory's already been secured, but boy, the process is a little messy, right? See, very little happens by chance. There are patterns in our lives that bring about outcomes. We might be able to make our own choices, but we don't get to choose the consequences. There's a process to the patterns in our lives, and we get what we're getting because of what we're doing. If you don't like the results you were receiving, then change what you're doing, and you will change what you're getting. It's it's basic logic. It's common sense. And so today, the show topic is method To our madness. Because I'm going to tell you right now, there's a lot of things going on that we're not aware of. Remember, we have a conscious and an unconscious. And what we're dealing with is the ability to understand that there's a lot going on around us because we're so busy, we're so distractible, we're so confused. We're looking at shiny object over here, we're looking at porn, we're watching this war or that war or this war. A little squirrel runs by, a little smoke here, a little drink here, a little live stream here. uh, uh, You know. And then all of a sudden the next day comes and you go on and on and on and on. And part of this show is to wake you up. To wake you up, not woke you Because woke is killing us. Woke is broke. It's killing us. But I actually want to awaken you. Not some woke, some altered state of reality, but to awaken to where you're consciously controlled. And so today we're going to go into these patterns. And, you know, one of my favorite guys, uh, Edward DeBono. You know, Edward DeBono is one of the only guys I know that would talk about thinking. He has uh, one of his, my favorite books, The Six Hat Thinking, You know where you put on a different color hat depending on how you want to control your thinking. But Edward Debono said most problems do have a solution. Sometimes we just need to think in a different way. And that's part of what I like to do on this radio show, to get you to think about it in a little different way. Many years ago in a small Indian village, a farmer had the misfortune of owing a large sum of money to a village moneylender. You know, the moneylender was old, ugly, He was gross. I mean, not just his looks. I'm talking about he was a dirty man. I mean, just not nice. And he fancied uh, fancied the farmer's beautiful daughter. So this nasty, terrible man proposed a bargain to the daughter's father. He said he would forego all the farmer's debt if the man would just give him his daughter in marriage. Both the farmer's daughters were horrified by the proposal. So the cunning moneylenders suggested that instead of this agreement, since they wouldn't agree to it, let providence decide the matter. Because that's what a lot of you think is going on, just providence. It's just the way it's supposed to happen. And that's a lie from the pit of hell. So he told them that here's what he would do to let providence take its hold. He said he would put a black pebble and a white pebble into an empty money bag. Then the girl would stick her hand in without being able to see and would pick one pebble from the bag. If she picked the black pebble, she would become his wife and her father's debt would be forgiven. If she picked the white pebble, she need not marry him and her father's debt would still be forgiven. If she refused to pick a pebble, her father would be thrown in debtor's j- prison and stay there until the debt was paid. And so they were standing on a pebble-strewn path in the farmer's field. As they talked, the money, l- money lender bent over to pick up two pebbles. As he picked them up, The sharp-eyed girl noticed something because she was paying attention. She was conscious. She was fully present in the now moment. She noticed that he didn't pick up a black and a white stone. She noticed that he picked up two black pebbles and thought he did it cunningly. And he put both black pebbles into the bag. He then asked the girl to pick a pebble from the bag. Now imagine, imagine that you were standing in the field. What would you have done? I mean, it's like voting for Joe Biden, right? <laughs> what would you have done? If you had to advise her, what would you tell that girl to do? And this is the problem. We get so stuck. We don't critically think anymore. We just go along with sheeple. We're just told what to believe. We're, we're have, let words redefine us. We're told we're racist when we're not. We're told that we're, we're, we're victims when we're not. We're told we're persecutors when we're not. But we buy into it anyways. And so here's what the girl did. She put her hand in the money bag and drew out a pebble. Without looking at it, she fumbled intentionally and let it fall under the pebble stone path, where it immediately became lost among all the other pebbles. Oh, how clumsy of me, she said. But never mind. If you look in the bag for the one that is left, you will be able to tell which pebble I picked. Remember, there was supposed to be a white one and a black one in there. See, the money lender dared not admit his dishonesty. And so the girl changed what seemed an impossible situation into an extremely advantageous one. Most problems do have a solution, ladies and gentlemen. Sometimes we just need to think in a different pattern. And that's what we're talking about today, that there's a method to this madness. We'll be right back.
3: Use your head,
4: man.
0: That's likeitmatters.net. Sightseeing in Paris, at the Mall in Bloomington, or on horseback in Dallas. We're where you are. Listen to Freedom 1570 at odyssey.com or with the free Odyssey app. In his latest book, Eric Metaxas presents the unraveling of atheism. Findings so compelling, we're bringing him to the Twin Cities to talk about it. Join us for Is Atheism Dead? A discussion with Eric Metaxas. April 28th at Plymouth Covenant Church. He'll present remarkable new evidence backed by science that defeats the idea of a creatorless universe. His quick wit will make the event come to life. Reserve your seats today at Freedom1570.com. Supported by GTS HVAC.
2: It's
1: a man, oh, a man, oh. Come on, man.
2: You are talking about the nonsensical ravings of a lunatic mind. Yes, you are, but now you gotta figure out who are we talking about? I'm black, and you are back and being under construction on Like It Matters Radio. Living life, Like It Matters. And ladies and gentlemen, I don't care what's going on in the world around you, uh, your life matters. I don't care what your skin color is. Uh, I don't care what your socioeconomic background is. I don't care how many sins or how much bad stuff you've done in the past. You know, the great thing is that we have a brand new beginning every day. Every day we wake up, it can be an up until now moment. Every day we get out of bed, we can draw that line in the sound and say up until now. We do not have to be a product of our past. Now, in autopilot, of course we are. Of course we are. But see, we only use 3 to 5% of our brain consciously. The rest is at the unconscious level. And this is why I like to equip you. I like to teach you how you work, how the creator made you. Because if you understand how the machine runs, then you can choose to run more effectively. See, uh, Mikhail Chiksetmihai is a Russian physicist. He wrote a great book called Flow. Highly recommend it. It's still in print, I'm pretty sure. It was probably written in the 70s. But this uh, outstanding comment, this quote, he says, and it's a true statement, by the way, a person can make himself happy or miserable regardless of what is happening outside just by changing the contents of consciousness. We all know individuals who can transform hopeless situations into challenges by overcoming just through the force of their personalities. This ability to persevere despite obstacles and setbacks is the quality most admire in others, and justly so. It is probably the most important trait, not only for succeeding in life, but for enjoying it as well. To develop this trait, one must find ways to order consciousness, so as in to be in control of your thoughts and feelings. Do you understand that nobody can make you anything? Only God can. I hear this a lot of times because my training is intense, and I put a lot of pressure on people. And I don't do it to be mean. I do it so that they can see what happens when life squeezes them because we are no different than a sponge. And when life squeezes us, what comes out of us is what's in us. And and there's one thing that I say all the time over and over. As leaders, we our number one commodity is hope because without hope, nothing matters. Without hope, we don't look up. Without hope... We have no need to do anything different today. You see, helpless and hopeless means that my life sucks today and that tomorrow will be no better. And I'm going to tell you right now, as a father of four, and I'm going to just speak for most parents out there. I can't say all because we live in a freaky deaky world. But let me speak for most parents. You know what most parents' desire has always been? That they can give their children a better childhood, a better life than they had. Most parents that I know intimately, again, I don't say all, I'm saying most parents, their desire is to be a better parent for their kids than their parents were to them. Their desire for their children is to leave them a better world than they had. And I think that's been every generation's their desire. And I got to tell you today, parents, we've lost that. We are not giving our children a better country than the one we got 30 years ago, 40 years ago, 50 years ago. America is is in rapid decay, decline, and it seems like 40% of the world is okay with it. Now, why does this matter? It really doesn't matter about me. I'm 56 years old. I'm ready for the rapture. I'm ready to go be with the Lord. But what about my 7-year-old kid, Benaya? What about my 16-year-old kid, Major? What about my 22-year-old kid, Christian? What about my 25-year-old daughter, Faith? The majority of their life's in front of them. And see, that's why I say leadership's a loop. You got to flex your pecs, leaders. It's about permission. It's about example. And it's about culture. Leadership is my forte. That's what I've been teaching for 30 years at likeitmatters.net. And by the way, our next class will be May 12th through 14th in Las Vegas. Right on. Uh, We've still got got about four spots in there. Go to likeitmatters.net to sign up. Change your life forty 48 hours. After that, will be June 9th through 11th in Dallas, Fort Worth. And then uh, we're coming back to Minneapolis, Twin Cities on June 30th through July 2nd. So go to likeitmatters.net and uh, get yourself in a class that will forever change your life. And by that, change your kid's life as well. Change your spouse's life as well. Change those people's worlds that interact with your worlds as well. That's what you got to realize. And so permission. Ladies and gentlemen, people are always watching. This is one thing i got to learn. People are always watching. Now, I used to believe that people are watching and looking for a reason why. Over 30 years, I realized I was bass backwards. People are not looking for a reason why. They're looking for a reason why not. And see, even Billy Graham said that Christians do more to scare people away from God than anything that the the devil could while up. Right. Because people look at us and they already don't want to have a relationship with God. And they're looking for any excuse not to have a relationship with God. And they use someone like you or me. Well, that guy's preaching God, but he's doing this. Well, that guy supposedly falling to God, but he does this. Well, that guy see. And now they have a, in their mind a legitimate excuse. For why they're not following after Scott Black's God or John's God or Lee's God. And ladies and gentlemen, that's the problem. It's not Scott Black's God. It's not Lee's God. It's our God. It's the God of the universe. It's Yahweh. It's Adonai, it's El Shaddai, it's uh uh you know that's who we're talking about. And so you got permission. See, our actions give people permission. And I just want you as I'm giving you these three pieces, I want you to just take a look at the country we live in today. And think about permission. Think about our elected officials. Think about the Democratic Party, the people that are running that they have control of the House, they control the Senate, and they control the White House. So everything happening in America today is a benefit or a byproduct of the Democratic Party and their progressive belief systems. What are we giving people permission to do today? Think about that. See, our actions give other people permission. And remember, look at this through a kid's eyes. What's acceptable? What's not acceptable? My little boy, Benai is seven years old. He watches me like a hawk. Everything I do, he does. Uh, for a while, I'd say something hectic because my life is stressful. I just want to put a bullet in my head. You know, when things go bad, ah, I just want to pull a bullet in my head. Ah, just want. Now, please hear this. I am not suicidal. And please hear this. I should not say that around my seven-year-old son. Because, you know what my six-year-old son, son said at school one time? Uh, I've just got to put a bullet in my head. Ah! The teacher Stand goes, in. what did he just say? Ah! And my wife came home, and my gra- her uh, her mom like looked at me like, what are you doing to Benaiah? Right? And and they were right. I was saying it tongue-in-cheek, and he was just copying me. You like ah, i got to put a bullet in my head. right? Ah. Right? Just like when I get pulled over by a cop, I'm not happy. But I became aware that my unhappiness, how it is vented, how it's showed when my son's in the car is really, really important. So I alter my behavior because I'm watching that my son is watching. And he loves cops. So the second one is example. A picture's worth a thousand words. What you're doing speaks so loudly that people don't need to listen to a word you're saying. Once you get that, what you're doing speaks so loudly that people don't need to listen to a word you're saying. It's an example. A picture's worth a thousand words. And I've said this before. The typical human being, look it up, speaks 120 to 150 words per minute. I get to 180. One picture of lack of respect, of disloyalty, of hatred, of bitterness, of hate the cops, of defund the police, of black people are evil or white people are evil, one picture of me demonstrating that. Is worth six to eight minutes of nonstop dialogue, which then brings us to culture, and culture is about a series of repeated norms, acceptable behaviors, and let's be honest, what's acceptable in America today is disgusting, and what was acceptable thirty years ago is. That's why we're in such a mess. That's why I love this saying, and who who said? Uh, former Emmisburg Mayor Ed. I don't know. That's all I know. Children learn from what they see. When you thought I wasn't looking. When you thought I wasn't looking, I saw you hang my first painting on the refrigerator door, and I immediately wanted to paint another one. When you thought I wasn't looking, I saw you feed a stray cat, and I learned that it was good to be kind to animals. When you thought I wasn't looking, I saw you make my favorite cake for me, and I learned that the little things can be the special things in life. When you thought I wasn't looking, I heard you say a prayer, and I knew that there's a God, and I could always talk to him and learn to trust in him. When you thought I wasn't looking, I saw you make a meal and take it to a friend who was sick, and I learned that we all have to help take care of each other. When you thought I wasn't looking, I saw you take care of our house, everyone in it, and I learned that we have to take care of what we are given. When you thought I wasn't looking, I saw how you handled your responsibilities, even when you did it feel good, and I learned that I would have to be responsible when I grow up. When you thought I wasn't looking, I saw tears come from your eyes, and I learned that some things, sometimes things hurt, and it's okay to cry. When you thought I wasn't looking, I saw that you cared, and I wanted to be everything I could be for you. When you thought I wasn't looking, I learned most of life's lessons that I need to know to be a good and productive person when I grow up. When you thought I wasn't looking, I looked at you and wanted to say thanks for all the things I saw when you thought I wasn't looking. Ladies and gentlemen, we are creating a crisis in this country. And I'm not talking about Title 42 immigration crisis. I'm not talking about a crisis of our genders. I'm not even talking about a crisis of God. We're at a crisis that our children are crumbling. And our children are the future. And after a break, I'm gonna go, to the Latic just came out with a report. And it says that our children are struggling. The, the headline is, Why American Teens Are So Sad. Four forces that are propelling the rising rates of depression among young people. And ladies and gentlemen, we can stop this. We can turn this around. But we got to start thinking different. we got to start acting different. And it's not like some new foreign way to think. It's like when Jesus in, in Revelations 2 was talking to the church of Ephesus. He says, I just have one thing against you, is you've forgotten your first love. But the key is what he said after that. He said, go back to doing what you did before at the beginning. And after the break, we're going to go these four items and see how they work and why we can change it. It doesn't need to be going on. We have control. I am black. There's a method to this madness. We'll be right back to talk about
1: it.
3: Well, I moved into
0: the house in uh, the summer of 2018, and the siding was terrible. Hi, I'm Dave from die I got a hold of JTR through Friends. It almost looked like... Uh giraffe there were dark stains where the water had saturated the old paint that was on it but there were other things that needed addressing and uh, there were a multitude of things from putting doors in and railings and and doing some electrical and things like that all of which JTR gladly folded into the contract and took care of for me it was an amazing transformation in fact my brother-in-law who had visited before we had the siding done when he came back about a month after it had been done he stopped out in front of the house and called me and said what's your address again
1: because he couldn't believe the difference
0: contact jtr roofing now for your siding roofing and window needs
1: we are all in the construction business constructing memories relationships new ideas and a legacy that will outlive us
0: who did what? All these problems, the Middle East, the end of the world. Nostradamus. Quasimodo is the hunchback of Notre Dame. Oh, right. Nostradamus. Nostradamus and Notre
4: Dame. It's two different things completely.
2: Wow. Where would you get that Biden clip from? Where did you get that from? I am black. You are under construction on the Like It Matters radio network. You know... Uh, In my training, I highlight six words that are foundation for everything great. Passion, vision, focus, commitment, purpose, team. Those six words, six principles, six values, six tools, whatever predicate you want to use, are really the key to uh, the foundation for anything great. And vision is the ability to connect dots to see into the future. You got to realize that, uh, and that's why I say the number one commodity of a leader is hope. Leaders we are to be hope peddlers, because see, hope always has a future destination. See, helpless and hopeless is all about the past. See, my life sucks, and tomorrow will be no better. That's why we say there's the three R's of survival: regret, resent, and resist. Right? Regret, resent, and resist. We regret things from the past. We resent things from the past. We resist the now because of things from the past. Anybody get it yet? Regret, resentment, resistance. Even in the spiritual world, we have two forces. We have God, the force of good, and we have Lucifer and his demons, the force of evil. We have God who's the force of light. We have Lucifer and his demons, the force of darkness. We have God that wants us to be on a narrow, hard path, and we want the devil and his minions to put us on that wide, comfortable, fun path that everybody's on, having lots of sex, smoking a lot of pot, drinking lots of alcohol, uh, going to lots of sporting events, cashing lots of uh, stimulus checks, right? And so it really requires hope. And hope requires a future focus. That's why I love the story about hope versus no hope and rats in the water. I mean, let's be honest. you got to be smarter than a rat, right? I've been called a lot of things. Um, One of them has been dirty rat. But think about it. Are you at least as smart as a rat? During a study at Harvard in the 1950s, Dr. Kurt Richter placed rats in a pool of water to test how long they could tread water. Now, there's a fun test. I wonder how many millions of dollars he got. What are you going to do today, doctor? We're going to throw a whole bunch of rats in water and see how long they can stay alive. Brilliant! Brilliant! And I'm getting $10 million. (laughs) Yeah, $10 million uh, as long as I get my jab. (laughs) So, here's what happened. On average, those rats... They gave up within 15 minutes. They had no reason to hold on. I mean, think about it. you got a rat's life. Why would you fight to live that life more than 15 minutes and just succumb to the pressures of the world? But right before they gave up due to exhaustion, after he figured this 15 minutes out, right before they gave up due to exhaustion, the researchers would pluck some of them out, dry them off, let them rest for a few minutes, and then put them back in for a second time. Now, in the second attempt, how long do you think they lasted? Remember, they just swam until failure only a few short minutes ago, and they didn't make it 15 minutes. So how long now after they took them out, some of them out, dried them off, let them get their breathing and their heart rate down, and then put them back in the water? So how long that second time do you think they made it before they succumbed? Well, you think it was 15 minutes? You think it was 10 minutes, 5 minutes? Nope. You ready for this? And again, I'm just telling you data. six zero. 60, not 60 seconds, nope, not 60 minutes, nope, you ready, 60 hours, my math tells me that's about 720 minutes, first time, 15 minutes, right, 15 minutes first time, 720, 60 hours of swimming, the conclusion drawn from this, since the rats quote believed Remember, they were just plucked out of the water right before they could drive, drown before, so they know there's a big hand in the sky, put them in the water, pulls them out of the water. So after that first time being saved and then put back in, they actually believed that they would eventually be rescued. And because of that hope, because of that belief, they could push their bodies way past what they previously thought was possible. See, if hope can cause exhausted rats for, to swim that long, what could a belief in yourself and your abilities do for you? Let's look at Ukraine. You know what? Our military, this shows you how screwed up uh, the people in charge of our woke military, said within four days, all Ukraine would be in the hands of the Soviet Union. So we, didn't, so we didn't do anything to help them. Here we are. I think we're at day 58. And we have billions of dollars to store to our allies of weapons stored in buildings that have been there for years. And Ukraine is begging that if they got those weapons that have been stored in years in warehouses that aren't being used by anybody, if they had those weapons, this war would be over. Not because they lost, because what we won. But again, they're fighting because they believe they're fighting for the right things. Why do I tell you all this? -ah! We got to realize there are some people that have called this. I'm telling you what's going on. This radio show is not political. This radio show is not religious. This radio show is vision. It's about taking, it's about leadership. It's about having eyes to see and ears to hear. It's about understanding the law of causation, the chain of causation, the law of causality, uh, consequences, if-then, conditional statements. Any behavior reinforced with a positive outcome will repeat itself. I got this article from Academy Ideas. What a great website, academyofideas.com. In 1958, now we talk about 1984 all the time, the book 1984. Oh, my gosh, we're going to 1984. Well, you need to go back further because it wasn't just George Orwell who saw what was going to happen. In 1958, there was a book called The Brave New World, and it was actually revisited. Aldous Huxley wrote the following. This is 1958. So add 22 plus 42, and that's 64 years ago. Quote, If the first half of the 20th century was the era of the technical engineers, the second half may well be the era of the social engineers. And the 21st century, I suppose, will be the era of world controllers, the scientific caste systems, and brave new world. And the author goes on to say this. Thirty years prior to penning these words, Huxley wrote his classic work of fiction, Brave New World. Set in the distant future, this book depicts a scientifically managed dystopian society. In Brave New World... The ruling authorities attain mass compliance, not through force, listen carefully, but by supplying the masses with endless streams of distracting entertainment and manipulating them with drugs, POTS legal, alcohol. You now can go pharmacy online. I can get my ED medication, my heart medication, my all that medication right online, right? You don't have to go anywhere, right? and other technological methods. Huxley wrote Brave New World as a warning. Advances in science and technology he believed were paving the way for the type of society he picked in his book, and he cautioned that if a Brave New World type of order solidifies, it could be the, quote, final or ultimate revolution. The people will have their liberties taken from them, but listen, but they will enjoy their servitude. And so never question it, let alone rebel. Matter of fact, in 1962, in 1962, in Berkeley, I mean the liberal capital of the world, in 1960 said, quote, It seems to me that the nature of the ultimate revolution with which we are now faced is precisely this, that we are in the process of developing a whole series of techniques which will enable the controlling oligarchy who have always existed and will always exist to get people to love their servitude. According to Huxley, this Brave New World totalitarianism was most likely to solidify in the 21st century. That's so powerful. So in Brave New World Revisited, Huxley wrote the following, quote, in 1931, this is when it was written, oh my gosh, I didn't realize it, 1931, it's almost 100 years ago. When Brave New World was being written, I was convinced that there was still plenty of time. The completely organized society, the scientific caste system, the abolition of free will by methodical conditioning, the servitude made acceptable by regular doses of chemically induced happiness, these were coming all right. But not in my time, not even the time of my grandchildren. 27 years later... I feel a good deal less optimistic than I did when I was writing Brave New World. The prophecies made in 1931 are coming true much sooner than I ever thought they would. The nightmare of total organization has emerged from the safe, remote future and is now awaiting us just around the corner. Think about this. Nearly a 100 years after Huxley wrote his dystopian novel, has this type of condition left the realm of science fiction and entered in reality? Quote, Today, the art of mind control, listen carefully, this is what I've been telling you on the show. This isn't a a theory, this is reality. Today, the art of mind control is in the process of becoming a science. The practitioners of the science know what they're doing and why. They are guided in the work by theories and hypotheses solidly established on a massive foundation of experimental evidence. Matter of fact, British philosopher Bertrand Russell put it this way. It is to be expected that advances in psychology, listen, this is what I teach you on the show. Advances in psychology, or physiology, sorry, physiology and psychology will give governments much more control over individual mentality than they now have even in totalitarian countries. Clinical psychologist Carl Rogers warned that the rapid development of the behavioral sciences, which is a cluster of scientific disciplines, including psychology, psychiatry, sociology, social science, psychology, anthropology, biology, economic, political science, mathematics, and statistics, right? Don't you hear it? Even Carl Rogers of becoming a person was in the process of becoming what he called if-then science. By, me, by that, it means that scientists' carefully constructed conditions are implemented in society. Then there's a high probability that the majority of citizens will respond to these conditions in predictable and hence controllable ways. Quote, I believe that too few people are aware of the extent, the breadth, and the depth of the advances which have been made in recent decades in the behavioral sciences. The increasing power for control which it gives will be held by some one or some group. Such an individual group will surely choose the purposes or goals to be achieved, and most of us will then be increasingly controlled by means so subtle we will not even be aware of their best controls. It appears that some form of complete control society is coming, and ladies and gentlemen that 's what 's going on that 's what I do this radio show for. I teach you this this is not politics, this is not religion, this is reality wake up i 'm black, and we 'll be right back. Leadership Awakening
0: impacts even the seasoned pros. Take a listen to these comments from Kevin, who recently
4: attended Leadership Awakening. I've struggled with a lot of things. I've been in so many different trainings. I thought, how hard could this be? Well, the number one thing that I gained from Leadership Awakening was another level of awareness. If you're
0: ready to go to another level of awareness, go to likeitmatters.net. Just click on Schedule to register for the next Leadership Awakening class near you. That's likeitmatters.net. Salmon fishing in Alaska, at an amusement park in Green Bay, or taking a stroll through Loring Park. We're where you are. Listen to Freedom 1570 at Odyssey.com or
3: with the free Odyssey app. The tax man cometh. Tune in to this week's Money Matters with Alan Mike. They'll be discussing retirement income and the taxes you pay on that income in retirement. Many retirees are shocked at how high taxes can be after they retire. Don't get caught without a plan. Alan Mike will share with you how to create a tax efficient income strategy. So make sure you listen to Money Matters with Alan Mike, 9 a.m. Sunday on Freedom 1570, or call them right now with your questions at 855-231-6010.
1: TheFishTwinCities.com is streaming your favorite contemporary Christian artists like Matthew West, Toby Mac, For King and Country, and many more. Stream along at TheFishTwinCities.com, download the free app, or listen on your Amazon smart speaker.
3: Take a listen to this comparison of other training to Leadership Awakening.
4: For probably two-thirds of my any other leadership program that i've been through i mean in 48 hours of leadership training in your program it was just it was dynamic it was intense it was powerful you know it was was amazing it was amazing
3: leadership awakening change your heart change your mind change your life go to likeitmatters.net schedule for the next leadership awakening
2: socialism failing to work as it always does this time in Venezuela, you talk about giving everybody something free, and all of a sudden, there's no food to eat. And who do you think is the richest person in Venezuela? The daughter of Hugo Chavez. Hello. Anyway, Owen oh 2. <laughs> well, anyway, Owen oh 2. I am Black, and you are under construction on the Like It Matters radio network. Well, who's doing so well in America Day? Well, only the son of the president of the United States. Come man, on, he man! He can paint, he can paint little kid pictures, and people are paying him a hundred thousand dollars. Boy, he can go to China and get five million dollars paid for him. Boy, he can sit on the Ukraine oil company of Burisma and get millions of dollars, and he knows nothing about energy. He is made from Russia. He is made from China. He is made from Ukraine. This dude and his uncle, Joe's brother and Joe's sister, they're all millionaires, multi-millionaires, living off the government for 50 years in his fame and his power, and yet no one seems to care. You wonder why people are confused? Because everybody was so worried about Trump making money in the White House. No, they weren't. They just hated Donald Trump because they were programmed to hate Donald Trump. They don't care about people making money in office. You don't care about Maxine Waters. You don't care about Nancy Pelosi. You don't care about Barbara Boxer and these other people. Uh, none of these people matter. Don- I mean, uh, uh, what's his name? Biden. Donald Trump was a, a civilian, an individual a businessman. He donated all his salary. His being president cost him billions of dollars. But yet. Everybody still wants to attack the guy, and yet he actually had his own money. It's just silly. It's silly. The article I'm going to talk about, I alluded to yesterday, teens expressing regret over gender-affirming care are going unheard. A report published Monday argued that transgender t- teens speaking out against, quote, gender-affirming care were going unheard. What? And s- in a Substack Post headlined The Testosterone Hangover, Susie Weiss, sister of Barry Weiss, and a former reporter for the New York Post, described the struggles of transgender teens who underwent and subsequently regretted gender-affirming care. And argued, listen, quote, all they really needed was a little time to grow up rather than rushing into a process of permanently changing their bodies. Brilliant! Think about that. Chloe was the beneficiary of what transgender activists call gender-affirming care, which means all the adults in her life, doctors, nurses, social workers, teachers, parents, actively supported her decision to become the person she believed she was meant to be. And she got a mastectomy, got her breast removed in high school. She's not even old enough to vote. And yet she's rapidly altering her body. In this quote, Chloe is also the poster child for the Biden administration's recently announced transgender policy. Think about that. That's stunning. So what is this gender dysphoria? This is where you got to get this. So important. Let me define dysphoria. It's a state of feeling, unwell or unhappy, a feeling of emotional and mental discomfort as a symptom of discontentment. Restlessness, dissatisfaction, malaise. Do you know what that sounds like? Sounds like a teenager. You mean puberty? You mean the teen awkward years? You mean when hormones are coming in and kids, girls start their periods and guys, boys start thinking everything about sex, uh, and hair starts forming places? You mean that awkward puberty life that we've had for 7,000 years? And by the way, the word dysphoria, I love words. I'm an etymologist, right? From ancient Greek, grievous. From bad, difficult, to bare. It's a profound state of unease or dissatisfaction. It's called teenage years. It is, ready for this? This is cool. It's the opposite of euphoria. I never thought about that. It's the opposite of euphoria. In a psychiatric context, dysphoria may accompany depression, anxiety, agitation. So dysphoria is a state of unease or generalized dissatisfaction with life. Guess what? That's the teenage years. It's always been that way. The difference is the time that we live in. Remember, new wine in old wineskins, yesterday's show. If you don't know what I'm talking about, go to likeitmattersradio.com. You'll know. And so from The Atlantic, I want to end this show, this segment, with why American teens are so sad. See, they've always been sad, but never this sad. And never now be driven by social engineering concept that, hey, you got to be gay. 1% 1% of the community, a fragment, are LGBT, LGBTQBT, whatever the thing is. 5 to 10% at the most is homosexual. And yet we are altering everything. We're programming our kids that cisgender is good. If you're in a normal homo uh, heterosexual relationship, it's bad. You don't have any street cred. That's what AOC tells you, that cisgender is good. Anything non-cisgender, uh, I mean cisgender is bad. Everything else is good. And so this Atlantic article highlights four reasons why teens are so sad. And they say they're stuck somewhere between 26 to 44 percent of all teenagers in a new CDC study have persistent feelings of sadness or hopelessness. Member leaders, they're watching us. Where are they getting this hopelessness from? From mom and dad's confusion. From mom and dad wanting to play the woke thing. From mom and dad wanting to encourage them to be gay. From mom and dad wanting to encourage them to take their confusion and medically alter their bodies. My seven-year-old wants to drive my car. I say no. My seven-year-old. Wants to have candy right before going to bed I say no not gonna my seven-year-old wants to hit the little girls he likes I say no what happened, parents? we're supposed to be the grown-ups, but let me tell you why this matters because this Atlantic article which I 'm not a fan of the Art Atlantic, please hold it know this four. Forces propelling that increase, and they're all things I talk about on this radio show. Social media use number one. Five years ago, psychologist Jean Twenge wrote an influential, controversial feature in The Atlantic titled, Have Smartphones Destroyed a Generation? Based on her book, iGen, around 2012, Twenge wrote she had noticed that teen sadness and anxiety began to steadily rise in the U.S. and other rich developing countries, and it was the phone. So it's funny. It was stunning. The phone allows people to be on social media all the time. Number two, sociality is down. Now think about this. When you're on social media all the time, remember, you don't socialize as much. You do it on the the phone now. You do it on Facebook, so you don't go out. Both Steinberg and Twan stress that the biggest problem with social media might be not social media itself, but rather the activities that it replaces. Quote, I tell parents all the time that if Instagram is merely displacing TV, I'm not concerned about it. But today's teens spend more than five hours daily on social media, and that habit seems to be displacing quite a lot of beneficial activity. The share of high school students who got eight or more hours of sleep declined 30%. To up to 2019, compared with their counterpart in the 2000. Today, teens are less likely to go with their friends, get their driver's license, or play youth sports. They don't do any of that anymore. The pandemic and the closure of schools built this up. Matter of fact, survey, 2020 survey from Harvard's Graduate School of Education found this. Loneliness spiked in the first year of the pandemic. Quote, it's well established that what protects teens from stress is close social relationships. When kids can't go to school to see their friends and peers and mentors, that social isolation could lead to sadness, depression. And this is where you fight the Democratic Party, because the teachers union, which is the strongest support of the Democratic Party, is paying uh, to keep kids at home. Paying to mask them. All these things that the teachers union are doing, that the Democrats are doing, are destroying our kids. They're making our kids chemically dependent on antidepressants. They're making our kids depressed, sad. And you know what? Fear equals control. Fear equals control. Which brings us to number three. The world is stressful. This is what they say. The world is stressful. There's, no, there's more news about the world's stressors. Lisa DeMora, clinical psychologist, said that she believes a part of the answer is that the world has become more stressful or at least teenagers perception of the world seems to be causing them more stress. Why? Because you can see everything right now. Everything. Fears about finances, climate control, viral pandemics, smashing the local co- uh, concerns about social approval, setting oneself up for excess, being canceled, being called a racist, being called a bigot. We're coming out of the pandemic and then suddenly Russia goes to war. Every day it feels like there's something else. See, what are they seeing, parents? And ready for this? Number four, modern parenting strategies. Modern parenting strategies in the past 40 years, American parents, especially those with a college degree, think about all you smart people out there. I don't have a college degree, have nearly doubled the amount of time they spend coaching, chauffeuring, tutoring, and otherwise helping their teenage children. It's a rug rat race. What happened to American childhood? Kate Julian described a related phenomenon that affects families a bit more broadly. Anxious parents in seeking to insulate their children from risk and danger, are unintentionally transforming their anxiety to their kids. See, we're afraid of everything. We're afraid of everything. We're afraid of, of, of being too tough on our kids. We're afraid of not being our kid's best friend. And you know, I have four kids. My oldest is Faith, then Christian, then Major, and Benaya. Major lives with his mom, my 16-year-old. She's, he's a mama's child. He can't handle anything. I wasn't allowed to parent him, wasn't allowed to father him, wasn't allowed to discipline him. But I as similar. Although I'm married to his mom, uh, I've allowed uh, mom and grandma, because I'm an intense man and they defend him all the time, to go ahead and raise him. My two oldest kids, Faith and Christian, can handle any situation. My two younger kids, they struggle. Things get to them and they crumble. I'm not helping them by being soft on them, and neither are you. We are under construction on the Like It Matters Radio Network. I am Mr. Black, helping you become more hopeful about your future, reminding you, when you live your life like it matters, it does.
1: Is it true that you're going to end up in a mental institution? Cuckoo's mad. Google's mad. Come on, man!